1: Excited to have you with us today for another great episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So, I work as an executive coach where I work with leaders in business, in all kinds of industries, and also a mental performance coach, which is one of the reasons I'm talking to today's guest, where I've worked with athletes and sports teams and all kinds of sports organizations. And I founded a company called Strong Skills. And at Strong Skills, our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we believe labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call Shift Your Mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, I know you're going to love the book. And actually, I sent a copy of the book to today's guest, and he's already shared with me that he's taken a bunch of nuggets and gems from the book, and he's already applying them to himself and his team. So it is definitely a great read, especially if you're in the performance world. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase, and you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased, and I've been overwhelmed by the response the book has gotten so far. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lastly, if you enjoyed today's episode or any of our previous conversations, we'd love it if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really does help us expand our reach, and thanks to all of you who have already done so. Let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. Now to today's guest, Nick Hill is the head football coach at Southern Illinois University where he played football at. And he's going to talk about his story and it involves basketball and involves football. I'll let him tell it. But he played football at Southern Illinois. He also played professional football. So he's going to talk about his journey a bit in this conversation. But the crux and the meat of our conversation today is about what he's building at Southern Illinois. He's had three winning seasons after Plenty of losing seasons at Southern Illinois. And he's going to talk about the culture that he is embedding into the program and why he loves coaching football. So you're going to love Nick's vulnerability, his desire to learn, his desire to grow. He is somebody who is constantly looking to improve and better himself and also the people around him. So here's Coach Nick Hill. Nick, thanks so much for coming on the podcast we are going to do something we haven't done before on the podcast, which is we're going to take an audio clip from somewhere else. And I want you to sort of play Monday morning quarterback on this clip. And I really thought about this clip when I was doing my research on you. So to tee up the clip, this is Dean Pease. He's a defensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons. And this was a clip that was taken in January when someone asked him about coaches in the NFL. So I'm going to hit play. It's going to go for about two minutes, 45 seconds. And then Nick, I'm gonna want you to dive in and just give your perspective on what coach was talking about. So here we go.
2: I think the younger generation of coaches feel a little entitled. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're spoiled. I think they hey, go work in a high school, go work in a division three school where you gotta mow the grass or you gotta align the field. You gotta do all those things and you'll appreciate what you have when you have it. Instead of being 25 years old and wondering why I'm not a coordinator already in the NFL. Okay, I went to the NFL at 55 years old. I was a high school coach. I was a Division three coach. I was in the Mac as a coach. I didn't go to, to New England until I was 55 years old. And so I felt like I paid my dues. And, and I feel like it made me a better coach, made me a better teacher. I was a school teacher. I learned how to teach, not just stand up. I look at guys now and they can't stand up in front of the room and talk to people.
0: Yeah
2: they can't got to get on the computer. Everything's computerized, all that stuff. It's still a people's game. Players want to talk to you. They want to hear from you. They, it's not that. I still do everything in writing. I don't do. I do all my own breakdowns. I don't ask some quality control guy to do it. Everybody gets on a computer for two years and thinks they ought to be a coach. It's not Madden football. It has to deal with people. It's like all the analytics that everybody talks about this and that. And you should do this. You should do that. The computer told you that. When did the computer know what the weather was? Whether it was raining. Whether the wind was blowing whether the, you were playing good on defense. Okay, they say, well, it's a two-point it's a two-point game. Should you go for it on fourth down? Well, I don't know, is the score 42 to 40 or six to three? You know, I, I don't, it makes a difference. If you're playing great defense, then maybe not. they're playing great defense, don't. If they're playing lousy defense, yes. Peter doesn't tell you that. So it, it's kind of that way to me in coaching. Players want to be coached. They do, they do. All of them want to be coached. They want to be good, they want to be coached. They want to be told what to do and how to do it and correct them and talk to them and be honest with them. And I just don't feel in this generation, sometimes of coaches, that they have very good personal relationships with players. I love my players, I've always loved my players. Everybody asks me, who's your favorite player? I go, all of them, all of them. Anybody that played for me is my favorite player. So to me, that's what you learn over the course of 48 seasons is, you know, to just go coach them and and be personal with them and care about them. You know, and I just, anymore, it's how fast can I climb the ladder? I didn't climb up very fast, but I I feel good about the way I did it. So long story short. We like long stories,
1: that's good. That's (laughs) all (laughs) right. All right, Coach, what are your thoughts?
0: Well, I, I, uh, you know, I I saw that when that first came out, or whenever it kind of started to go viral on on uh, social media, and uh, I feel like there's a lot to unpack in there. Um, I think the the messaging uh, from it, um, you know, I, I agree with with um, especially in the coaching profession, and I and I see a lot of this uh, from both perspectives. You know, being a young young coach, but then also um, Also seeing a lot of the older coaches um, that are in uh, whatever college coaching or the NFL and and you see and hear in staff meetings, you know, the thought process from both sides. So I I think um, to start it and then you can kind of kick it around to me. I mean, I think the the one where when he starts to talk about um, there's a lot of entitled young coaches, but he in he's in the NFL now and he's been in the NFL for a long period of time um for uh shoot the last uh, whatever 16 17 seasons or something so and I haven't I haven't been in the NFL um but I what I would be interested to ask him like is he come across a couple like bad experiences or is there another side of it as well with like Know this young kid is in here. He beats everybody in the office every day. Like the kid uh, doesn't say a word. Uh, he wants to learn. He's grinding. He doesn't make much money at all. Uh, just wants his opportunity and kind of does it that way. I mean, we can't all pick our experiences and be a high school coach and then come up. Now that that's been my experience. I started out in high school, but then um, I did the laundry and lined the fields and. Did the whole thing. I was Carbondale High School's coach in 2013. And before that, I coached high school in Florida. And uh, really that's what I wanted to, to be. But then I all of a sudden I found an opportunity in front of me where I was a division one head coach at 30. So um and, and then I would ask him, you know, you, you think of even Zach Taylor, for example, now that the head coach of the Bengals is a is a good friend of mine. We were uh together in 2006 at the Manning Passing Academy and been friends ever since. And um, you would say, okay, I I would say Zach's the least entitled uh, person I know and has worked his way up and, um, you know, was a GA in college. And then they got fired. He's been a part of like three staffs that have gotten fired and just found his way at a young age of, um, of working and being a good person and people wanting to to hire him because of his work ethic and the type of person he is. So uh, I think you can still be young. I guess my long answer is you can still be young and not entitled and work your way up, you know. And then so while this was going on, and I knew you were going to ask this question, I just went back and looked at his, you know, how he came up. You know, I know he talked about it being Division Three, but he was 29 years old when he got a defensive coordinator position I know there's a lot of 29 year olds out there that would love to be a defensive coordinator, like calling plays on Saturday afternoons at any pose- per, per you know uh, level at 29. Um, uh, so um, I think that the the overall messaging w- was good on that, but I, I'd be interested to hear what your overall thoughts of it because I know there's a I know there's a lot of there's a lot of those entitled you know where they they get um, an opportunity that, that maybe they shouldn't have, but we've all gotten opportunities because of maybe someone we've known or positioning ourselves of, um, I played here and I'm from here. I wouldn't be the head coach here where I'm at if it wasn't for those circumstances. And, um, and so I think there's a little bit of both. I think that there'd be another side of it, uh, as well.
1: Yeah. I think the truth is often an, and instead of an, or, and so, like my i was what i was fascinated by was my twitter feed was just full support yes 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 and i was surprised by that because i understand and and i agree it's always going to be a people business you can't coach sports without having relationships with human beings uh you can't manage people in sales without Knowing how to deal with humans, you can't be in the C-suite and have direct reports and not know how to deal with people. Um, so it's always going to be a people business. And analytics can matter, and analytics can give you an advantage. It's one piece of a very large pie. It's not; it shouldn't be the whole pie. And I don't think any analytics person that I've ever been around would ever say just use analytics for everything. So, I, look, I I understand where he's coming from. I'm sure there are twenty somethings that are an intern at the NFL team and say, I want to be a, a GM one day, or I want to be a head coach one day. And, and we've all been there. At least I was, when I was right out of college, I was had dreams and delusions of grandeur. I still do. Um, but look, I think the idea that a certain generation is more entitled than the one that came before it has been going on for as long as we've been alive. like, the generation above always thinks the generation below didn't have to work as hard and was, was lazy. Um, Like that, that just always, always happens. So anytime someone starts by talking about a whole generation, I, my antenna goes up Um, and also his head coach is Arthur Smith, who is 39 years old. Who's from an area right near you. He's from Memphis, Tennessee. And if you know Memphis, Tennessee, you know, the last name Smith because his dad, Fred Smith was the CEO of FedEx. And so Arthur was an intern with the Washington football team. They had a different name at the time um, and got an opportunity because his dad was one of the owners of, of the team. Um, So maybe to your point, he was entitled um, because of the opportunity, but he started as an intern and worked his way up. And I think at the end of the day, especially in your profession in football, like lazy coaches don't really exist. I've yet to come across a lazy football coach. I actually think, football could benefit from coaches that weren't as obsessed with football as they are, um, which is a whole different conversation, which hopefully we'll dive into. But I think it's an interesting conversation to have. And look, the backdrop of us having this conversation is we also have to acknowledge that There's also a lot going on in the NFL right now with hiring. And there's a lot of discussions that are coming up with Brian Flores and how do people get hired and do people just hire former coworkers and who do they hire and how do they think about that? So I think it is an amazing can of worms to unpack. And I like unpacking can of worms. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I agree with him saying it's all about caring. It's all about relationships. You have to be able to have human and people skills. You can't just be a data nerd and be a great coach. Um, And, the data matters. And I'd be cautious to generalize someone to your point, just because their age or because of their journey. We all have our own journey. We all have our age. And um, there are 65 year olds who have no clue how to talk with human beings. And there are 25 year olds who are elite at it. There are 65 year olds who are amazing with analytics and data. And there are 20 year olds that have no clue how to dissect it. And so I just think we have to be thoughtful Um, it is interesting the world that he's in because we do see more and more of the Zach Taylors. We're going to watch a super bowl, uh, you know, in a, in a week where it's going to be two young head coaches who then their staffs are all getting hired and it's young coaches and they look like you coach, they look like Nick. Um, so I get where he's coming from as well. So now I've ranted for a while. Any other thoughts on what I'm talking about? Yeah, I think
0: the one thing that I 100% agree with him on is that it's a it's a people business. I think that that's in any business, like you just mentioned, uh, sales, football. Uh, because I I tend to be more on the side of him. I like to I like to draw things myself. Like I waste a lot of time on the computer if I'm going to be on Vizio trying to get every person on the the sheet correct. And um, there's people in the office that will just crush that and have an unbelievable PowerPoint. Uh, but when they present it, they're a terrible presenter and they the, the players have to, sitting there looking at you, have to be, you know, like, yeah, you gave them a great packet, but that they're going to go put that in the top of their locker and that didn't help them with the game plan or understand this concept or this install. And so I think that, number one, yeah, if you want it to – make your way up in this profession you have to be you have to be able to communicate verbally you have to express those things and that's where coach peas was talking like that I 100% agree with that now that there's a lot of and there's a role for these guys like you just said there's there's the 25 year old that can't can't communicate well or can't talk to people in relationships but they're they're deeply invested in the analytics and those people have a position too in your organization you know like i I love those guys. You know what I mean? Like feeding me information. And then it's up to me with the analytics of going into the game, how I want that to influence my decision-making and uh, we, we hire what most division one schools do championship analytics. And yeah, I agree that that that's your job as a coach um, to go through and know what the wind is, know if someone's gotten injured, know, how your team's playing. Know if something happened on Friday night in the, the hotel, somebody's sick. And now that would kind of dictate, you know, but there are a lot of those things because the analytics are studied, of uh, situational football, uh, when to take timeouts, you know, that, and then you have a percentage. And it's funny that the most of the time in those, those, you, you'll see a, a guy, you'll see him on Saturday. I mean, Zach's got one and Sean will have one. And, there's a guy standing by him with a book and that's the book guy. That's the analytic guy. And they'll be telling them whether you're, you're whatever information you want them to tell you uh, a lot of times uh, it's uh, you know, third and fourth down where, where you're at, like, Hey, this is uh, the analytics, say on fourth and three or less, we need to go for it. So, uh, you know, I still call the plays. So I know that on first down, like, Hey, this second down call, could be a little bit different because we're, you know, on fourth and three, we're going to go for it. Uh, hey Nick,
1: Nick, how do you, how do you think about putting a staff together? Cause it, you just hit on something for me, which is okay. Maybe you have someone who's really great at analytics, but you also might have someone who's great with humans and, that might be the person I know. I've worked with a Division One football team. They have player development people whose job it is to have great relationships. The one, the team that I worked with, that person also had strong faith and would also uh, weave in some religious texts with the guys. Um, but his job was to stay connected. He's actually now with an NFL team. So, how do you think about? the diversity of the staff when it comes to the skills that they bring? Obviously we think of offense coordinator, defense coordinator, position coach, but how do you think about personalities and, and what the mix should be like when you're crafting your staff?
0: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, that, that's probably as the, the head coach, the, you know, one of, if not the most important um, things that you have to do as a, as a head coach, you know, is number one, uh, what are you? What are your values, and what do you want this thing to look like? You know, because your name's at, at the top, and then uh, you know they um, have to have that same whatever messaging. Let them be themselves, but you have to know how to put those pieces. What's this team need? What this? What's this organization need? And there has to be a mix of those. You know, you you've got to have some some brains back here that are able to maybe talk to you about. Uh, they might not be talking to the team, but they're talking to you that like, hey, whether it's game plan specific or it's uh, in recruiting, you know, like uh, maybe it's your the depth at certain positions like, hey, we're, we're losing three of these guys after next season. They're all going to be seniors. That's our top three middle linebackers. And we haven't recruited a young kid to develop underneath them. So we're going to be, you know, stuck taking a for the whole time. You need like guys that are thinking about all of those, not just plays, but uh, maybe it's also for us, we're in charge of our own budgets and where we're spending our money and where it's allotted. And you need, you know, like people like that are, that are thinkers, but then you also need those dynamic personalities like you talked about that might be sending the text that you want up in front of the team a lot. You know, I think about our special teams coordinator has to be a guy like that because every day he he talks to the entire team because there's going to be on the punt team. There might be a defensive back and a receiver. And in the shield, there might be an offensive lineman or a fullback. And so, like, that's that's a position group from everybody. So when he gets up in front of the team every day, that has to be a dynamic personality because it kind of sets the mood for the day. And it's a guy that kind of a guy they rally behind. So if you don't have a guy with a great personality or can speak, communicate guys like, then maybe you didn't pick the right guy. So I think it's, yeah, when you, how you're hiring your staff, the people you put in place, your, your player personnel, people, it's really the difference I think of elite teams and and good teams.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. Everyone always focused on recruiting and the players and, I always am fascinated about how staffs get formed and the best teams I've ever been around have had the most elite staffs. Now those staffs also go get elite players and we all know players are often the separator, but it's like, what comes first and where are we going to invest? And I find so much of investment goes into the players often that we often forget to invest in the staff. And if you can unlock the staff and the leadership, that is just worth its weight in gold you mentioned values before, and you said we have to be aligned on on values. What are the values that, that you possess and that your team focuses on?
0: Well, I think, um, you know, whenever um, just what, what I want people and our players to value and the coaching staff to value um, is, number one, how, how we treat people. Um, you know, we have to be in it and in invested deeply in relationships. I, I think that, um, we could talk about this for, for a couple hours. I feel like so many people, coaches go on interviews and they've got this great booklet and it's got a you know, here's our values. And then they're up on the walls and then they go. And then you kind of, maybe you go visit somewhere and it's like, I don't, I don't see any of that. You know, when, when the one thing that you can feel and see, is when you come into someone's building and it's genuine. I think that that's where a lot of people miss the mark. Is um, is it really genuine? Is, is treating someone really genuine? So it, it's, you know, uh, you hear this all the time too. There's no secrets uh, of any of these things, but can you really go out there and do it? How you treat the people in the hallway? You know, we talk all the time about, you know, you're walking, it, we're, we're all connected here, all the different sports and everything. So if the assistant softball coach is walking down the build, you know, the hallway and you're walking from study table, like what's that interaction like, you know, that's going to be deeply what people feel about Saluki football, you know? Nick, do
1: you assess for that? Like, how can you, how can you assess like, Hey, you know, cause what I'm hearing from you is, Hey, the Spurs say, have you gotten over yourself? Like that's one of their big phrases. We want guys who've gotten over themselves. And I think NBA teams do this pretty, a pretty good job. They'll have guys come in and work out for them that are in the draft and the smart ones will often be very strategic about who picks that person up from the airport. They'll be very thoughtful about, you know, going out to dinner and watching how they interact with the waiter or with the equipment manager or the ball boy. And if it matters for that culture, then that will impact if they draft them. There are some teams that don't care if you can play ball, let's roll out the ball and go play. But I know having been around the spurs a little bit like they care about those those elements those human elements um for you how do you how do you do that either with players or with your staff as far as assessing whether they are the right fit for you guys
0: yeah i think that there's there's no checklist that you can do it's got to be like a um you know a gut feeling and and we talk about this in our recruiting meetings all the time you you really have to listen to those red flags the 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 part of us is like these things are coming up and, and it's kind of a gut feeling and it's, you know, like the, the things that we stand for and it's really not aligning. And then somebody in the room is going to be like, yeah, but he's, you, we've watched, let's put his film back up. You know what I mean? He's the best, he's the best guy. And then, so you have to really have a conviction and in, in, um, in believing in that and understanding. And I've learned that too, as the head coach, you know, like signing day just happened on on Tuesday, and it's like everybody, every coach in the country had a press conference, and a you know, like we had the best signing class and forever, and but the problems are just coming. You know, like you know, they got to be a freshman, and they got to be a backup, and they got to be down on scout team, and then that's when you're really going to know like did you really recruit the guy that can put his head down and develop and when the adversity comes does he have the support system can he overcome then we'll know can he be a great player we're all going to hit on the guy that yeah he's a freshman all-american and he's unbelievable and he he did that then but there's not a lot of um, tough things in that it's real when you're building a true team it's about development it's about overcoming and there's a certain skill set and Uh, makeup of that type of guy that that can do that so you want to bring more of those people um, in there the other thing I think when you say get over yourself it's the humility piece and but there's a lot to go into that and and so I I think humility is such a huge thing but we we mistake humility a lot you know it's not thinking less of yourself you know it's thinking of yourself less that that's a you know, I think uh, C.S. Lewis said that, and Tim Keller's a, a pastor that I listen to some. And it's like, so I don't want guys that aren't confident in themselves. I mean, there's not an NBA player that, that doesn't say like, roll out the ball, and I'm going to beat you, and I want to beat you, and I'm deeply competitive, and like, like there's just fire in their eyes. And um, I hope that I, I still have that. You know, like when we go down and play noon ball at noon, like I'm not gonna, but I'm, 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 we're gonna, we're gonna win today. You know but also like in between there and like that, that the arrogance factor, like just really turns me off as far as just the type of people you have around, you, you know, it, you kind of got a gut feeling. It's hard to put it in a book and say like, here's how we're going to do it. And then, you know, I've I've had to speak a couple of times as a young, young head coach, you know, like what, what should I do to become a next head coach? And everybody's got these booklets and they go on the interview. It's like, you better just throw that book. You, you better have that up here in your head. You know what I mean? Because when the kid comes in, um, that, you know, his mom's got cancer and, uh, or his parents are going through a nasty divorce and he lives eight hours away and he's in tears and he's sitting in front of your, your office. Like you don't get to get, be like, hang on a second, let me go get my book out and see how I'm supposed to to handle this. Like, you know what I mean? Like, or whatever happens, you got a kid that's, uh, Got in trouble. Like there was a party, and the kid got in trouble for drinking. And how are you going to discipline this kid? It's like it's not. A, well, let me turn to page fifty six and see what I said. I was going to do with that. These have to be instilled values of what you believe in, and then you have to be able to think quickly on your feet.
1: Yeah, to me, humility just impacts our potential because it impacts our curiosity and then our coachability. So. It's a starting point. I actually talk about arrogance being a good thing when we're between the lines. And so, and I even say it can be inner arrogance, but it's this unshakable belief that you have in yourself when you're between mm-hmm. the lines, which you you probably call confidence, so we could debate on the on the verbiage. I, I don't really care about that. Um, but I wrote a book about your mindset for preparation being different than your mindset for performance. So humble in preparation, arrogant in performance. Um, and it is. it's it's interesting, though. I think we all can observe when people don't have the humility to learn to grow. Do you, how do you, how do you seek that out though? How do you observe it? How do you, how do you assess for it? That's, that's to me the biggest question because, and then if you have a guy who you put on the tape and the guy can play ball, but you, is it like talking to the staff? Is it watching him at a high school game and how he interacts with the staff? Is it, you know, trying to do your due diligence, cause it's also tricky. I mentioned the NBA or the NFL or the NHL. They're also making decisions on, you know, guys who have been to college already um, you're dealing with kids who are in high school. So maybe they haven't been taught humility yet, or maybe they're still learning how to balance that belief in themselves with the desire to sort of say, all right, where can I improve? Where can I grow? How do you do that with ages, you know, 16 to 18 years old, or even, if you're bringing in a transfer, someone who's 19, 20 years old, how do you, how do you think about that? Because they're still evolving.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that that's a, uh, first I, I think when you said humble in preparation, arrogance and performance, I have never heard it put that way. I'm going to uh, use that for, for, from now on because that, that's how I, I, that's how I believe that's how hopefully I, I was as a, as a player. And even, even as a coach, I think you got to have a confidence. Your team has to, to feel that as well. Like you've put in the work and you feel good. And, and then when you go out there on Saturdays or uh, they feel that confidence in their, their coach too, you know, if,
1: um, you I, know, if you don't have it, they feel it, they know. Yeah. yeah. No doubt. It.
0: Yeah. There's no doubt. And there's uh and I think when you're trying to find that, it's just, um, you know, I think that that separates too. It's like I said, there's no, there's no like, Hey, go watch this kid. Here's our checklist of things that we really want to make sure that they have go watch him and come back and tell me. And then he's able to describe like, yeah, he's got this killer instinct. You know what I mean? Like he, I could just tell in warm ups and like the way that he was, I, I like watching him play other sports because mm-hmm. so many times we get to watch kids one time in person in the fall, but then, you know, in the, the winter time when it's recruiting's open and we're doing home visits, like we can go watch a kid play basketball. Like, you can just really tell the the competitiveness in a kid, you know, and, uh, and then talking to their height, the people you trust, you know, it's uh, you know, our quarterback, he's like five, eight and a half. He would say, you know, for sure five, nine, he was a Gatorade player of the year in Illinois, he won two state championships. No one recruited him because he's, he's really short and he's um, not the fastest, not the strongest, but the kid had a um, just a, he does, he has that, arrogance and performance. You know, you can just tell that there's that there's that feel that look, you know what I mean? And uh, but he's unassuming off the field. You know, he's walking in the hallways. You wouldn't be like, there's that quarterback, you know, it would just be like, who's that guy? You know, but when you get out there in between the white lines, there's a there's a celebration factor there in between games. There's a him talking to the other team a little bit within all good stuff, you know, but all the competitors uh, and the elite ones, uh, have that.
1: You mentioned playing multiple sports and watching a guy play basketball, for example, your journey is fascinating because you started playing college basketball, Western Kentucky. And so I'm curious for you, um, tell us a little bit about the, the transfer that you did in college, um, the decision to play quarterback and, and, and to make that move compared to staying and playing at it high level Western Kentucky is a great tradition and, and high level basketball. Um, I think you broke your hand freshman year, but talk about your journey and, and how basketballs influenced it and, and your decision to maybe go toward football.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I love basketball. That was my, my one thing uh, growing up. I mean, all my goals and just my thought process was basketball, played football um, little hometown that that's a big football tradition. Uh, so I, I mean I started as a sophomore junior and senior at quarterback and you know it was the same thing same uh, you know Tony Romo has a story like that Kurt Warner good basketball players everybody says like hey you know you probably your best sport would be football type deal stories you know everybody always telling you that you could probably get recruited higher at football and but it was I didn't want to listen to them and Uh, so I get recruited and, and had some, you know, mid-major offers in basketball. Obviously I grew up here close to SIU has a great basketball tradition too. I was kind of stuck in the, I'm going to go make my own path, my own story. I'm going to,
1: did they recruit you out of high school for basketball at SIU?
0: They did. Yeah.
1: Um, but you wanted to blaze your own, they were my my first
0: offer. And then, um, I kind of waited around. They, they had taken some commitments at my position. So I was you know, a little bit frustrated and mad at that. And then Western Kentucky went to the NCAA tournament. And uh, so they're recruiting me and offered me, and I'm watching them go to the second round. And I'm like, I'm going to I'm gonna go to Western. And uh, so I went there and did that. Um, it, I, I wouldn't change anything uh, about my story on how to get here. I mean, looking back of just the uh, – there was some low time. You go from scoring, um, you know, 2,000 points in your high school career to, to – you know, I didn't redshirt as a freshman, but there would be games that I'd play two, three minutes. There'd be a couple games I'd play 10 or 12, you know, and, uh, but you're scoring, you know, two or three points a game, some of the games, none, and you're, you're just learning what you need to go through, you know, and develop. I wasn't like a high major player that was just going to get plugged in and, and play. And then I don't know, there was just a tug at me, you know, I'm I was like, um, you know, coming back home, maybe a little bit homesick. I wasn't even that, whole, that far away, but I'm a homebody. And um, I knew that I could come back here. Coach Kill was the, the head coach here at the time. It always said, if you decide to come back to play football, there'd be a scholarship waiting on you. So kind of made sure that that was still the case. And uh, But I still wanted to play both sports. So the year I came back, they both told me I could play. Matt Painter was the head coach at the time here at SIU. And then he left and uh, Chris Lowry took over, you know, they were all here with Bruce Weber. And, um, and so, yeah, I played both sports. I had to sit out because of the transfer year, but the year that I played basketball here, we went to the second round of the NCAA tournament, got an NCAA tournament ring uh, learned a ton then too, because it was a phenomenal basketball team on toughness and, Uh, Then I became the starter in football and decided to just hang up, uh, but I cried like a baby the day that I went in and uh, told Coach Lowry that I wasn't going to play basketball anymore. You know, it was just like a piece of me that I felt like, you know, I was probably, what, 20 years old at that time, Um, and just walking to my my, uh, room and going back to my apartment, I remember just laying on my bed and just like you know, you worked it since you were a kid, like basketball is my thing. And I just went in and told him I'm not playing anymore. Like I'm done. Basketball's over, you know, and I'm still what
1: was his reaction?
0: He he was super, uh, you know, he obviously the football coach and basketball coach. Um, I wasn't going to be, a, I wasn't going to be like a plugged in starter on SIU's basketball team. I would have probably contributed to some, but, uh, obviously they wanted me to play, but they totally got it. I was a starting quarterback, two sports is a lot. Um, And so, but it was just something. And then I quickly just put my sights on, I've got to be the best at, you know, being uh, leading this team. And, you know, there's so much when you play both sports, you miss a lot of um, not games and all of that, but winter conditioning, you're the leader, you're the quarterback, you know, and your teams out there at, 5.45 5.45 a.m. you know running and stuff and where's your quarterback he's you know got a game tonight it's uh it's just it's tough to do that maybe a different position but I just went all in on being the best leader and, and quarterback I could be
1: hey Nick when you were at Western Kentucky that freshman year were there were there any thoughts of playing football there
0: yeah so when I left they they had a meeting they were trying to get me to to do the same thing, but I had just kind of my mind made up. Uh, So the athletic director and and the head football coach at the time uh, set up a meeting with me and was like, okay, let's just switch your scholarship here. You do it, you do it here. And I was just already kind of, like I said, homesick, ready to come home. Uh, Obviously looking back was the best decision that I could have made. You didn't know that at the time I could have came back here at home, you know, come back home and it not work out. And you're right here in, in your hometown.
1: So it's interesting because some people would say, oh, you're quitting, right? Some people would say, you're transferring, you're quitting. Stick it out, Nick. Like, all right, it was a freshman year stick it out. And then even they're giving you another opportunity to pivot. Hey, all right, fine. Not basketball. We got a spot for you over here and you committed to us. Where's your loyalty, Nick? Like why don't you stick this out and and grind it out and 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 learn from the adversity or same thing in when you go back to SIU. Hey, you can play both sports. Okay, you may not start, but you're a rotation player. You can help our basketball team out. I think you explained that it didn't feel like you were all in with the football guys. And as the quarterback, I had to be maybe all in with them. And there was a recognition there and and the tears. So that one, I think makes a little more sense, but we do live in a society right now where people are being heavily critical about transfers. And we now have a transfer portal. And a lot of people are saying it's free agency and college sports, and, and I'm not gonna sit here and say that it's a perfect situation. I think they do need to figure out how to make it work. Um, but what do you say to people that say that if you transfer, you're quitting or you're not being loyal or whatever other word they choose to attach to someone who makes that type of decision?
0: Yeah. Um, I, those are all, those are all good points that went through my, that went through my head too. I can remember at West Kentucky, I, uh, um, came back, the season had ended. Um, so we were going into the, the spring, you know, it's a uh, March and, uh, we didn't make the NCAA tournament and, uh, Came home for I think spring break and I'm like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna go in and talk to him about transferring and and so I called Archie Miller was on the staff there uh, that was then the head coach at Indiana and got let go last year Um, and so he was kind of my guy and so I was like I called him and he talked me and basically talked me out of doing it. It's like give this these next four weeks you know like you're going to like it better, you know, like you, you guys are leaving and you just, I'm telling you, you, get through your freshman year, same conversations I probably have with a lot of our guys, you know? And, and so I did that. I was like, you're right. You know, let me, um, and then I got to the end of that and I still had that, that same gut feeling. And I, and I tell our guys that too, like, look, we're, we live in the world of the transfer portal and, um, and, and, there's going to be guys every year that, that leave for whatever reason, you know, we've had three guys go in the transfer portal this season. One guy's already back. Uh, two of them are still in the, so two is probably pretty low. You know, uh, we haven't had many guys go in the transfer portal, but those guys would all, if you interviewed them, like, how'd your conversation go with coach Hill? I, I would, I would, uh, I would know that they would tell you it was good. You know, it was, uh, he supported me, you know, like, and, uh, I care about those guys now. And I tell them my story too. Like, look, I'm sitting here because I transferred. Maybe that is the best thing for you. We can't make those decisions for you. We've got to treat them right and do those things while they're, while you're here, you know, you got to make sure that you're getting the right information and vetting these things out. That's the one thing that I did. I probably talked to my parents and my high school coaches and, you know, really just, that it wasn't like a rash decision. I think a lot of kids right now just pop in the transfer portal. I mean, shoot, Twitter wasn't even around then. So I didn't know who was transferring and why they were transferring. Is this going to happen? You know, um, I just knew I wanted to, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know. And not my faith, like we talked about, I, I prayed about it a lot and just tried to, to really open my eyes to what what's the best thing for, for, um, for me at the time. And it just felt like that's what I wanted to do.
1: And you have a lot of success as a player. So you go on, I think you lead the team to the final four. Um, You know, you had a a great run in college. You play professionally in the arena league. You even make it to the NFL. Uh, At one point you're, you know, in a room with Aaron Rodgers, with the Packers. So, um, but I've never seen you play quarterback. Do you feel as though you fulfilled your potential as far as playing goes? Or was there anything that got in the way for you? um, physically, mentally was, how do you think about your, your playing career, uh, as a, as a quarterback?
0: Yeah, no, I I honestly do. I I feel like, um, you know, obviously if I could have, uh, you know, I never got the opportunity to play in a, um, preseason game, you know, and like get an opportunity to, to get in there and play. Cause I'm not, um, You know, in shorts and a T-shirt, obviously I made it there and got worked out, and they signed me and things like that. So the the general ability was there, but um, just but I but I'm not gonna you know if you're at practice and watching me and Aaron Rodgers throw the football, it's not gonna be the same thing. You know, obviously you have to have a certain skill set to even get in the room, but there's a there's a difference there. And so um, I don't know. You look back and what could I've done better for that? But I was always a guy that that took. took everything really seriously as far as your training and, uh, you know, the uh, off the field and, and making sure you're maximizing everything. I mean, shoot, I, I didn't go to play arena football thinking like I have to make it back to the NFL. I just still had like a bug that this was fun. Then I got to play in 2010 in Orlando Jay Gruden had just left to, to go and Pat O'Hara, who's now the quarterback coach of the Tennessee Titans took over. It was a cool place to play. There was always like 10,000 people there at games. Like it was fun, you know, like I was, I was single and, uh, but just, but I got married my second year to Alicia who's my wife now. And uh, we're living in Orlando. I'm coaching high school football. I'm like, I'm just going to keep this going for a little bit, had a couple good years. And then, Green Bay worked me out and signed me, which was cool too. Um, but when I got cut every time, like it wasn't like a, uh, same thing from the bears and green Bay. It was just like, I got in the car. It's probably harder to like call your friends and the, your whole community that thinks that they're just living with you. You know, it's like, Oh, I get so sorry. It's like, no, 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 no. Like you don't have to be sorry for me. Like I'm, I'm living, like, that was an unbelievable experience. I was just on the Packers for four months. Like I would have probably paid them to do what I just did, you know, really. I mean, but I, I lived for free and they were paying me and I got to be in uh, the, you know, went through quarterback school with Mike McCarthy and and Aaron Rodgers. And like, this is like a, a dream to me and I got cut and I don't know if there's anything else I could have done and now I'll pivot and keep it rolling.
1: So we've had on a lot of pro football players on the podcast, a lot of pro basketball players on the podcast. And I've worked in college football. I've worked in college basketball. I've worked in the NBA. I've done stuff with NFL players. You said something like I had a bunch of fun playing. Like I loved, you know, 10,000 people in the arena, you know, high school coaching. But one of the things that always makes me curious about football, and I hear this same thing when I ask swimmers or College wrestlers or cross country runners or tennis players. Um, I asked them, I asked football players if they love football. And there's often that pause that I just did. When I ask basketball players or soccer players or lacrosse, they're like, yeah, 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 I love it. I absolutely love it. In your experience, you know, being in professional locker rooms with football players, Um, I I would imagine at the arena level, you do have people that truly have to love it if they're going to, if they're going to do it, but maybe some of them are doing it because that's their only option career wise. And they, they're going to do whatever it takes to make it to the NFL. Um, I have just been curious about this. You're around college football players all the time, which once again, they're playing at a high level, but they're not playing at Alabama. Um, so I would imagine you have a lot of guys on your roster who know they're not going to play professional football and they're choosing to do this. What, what's your experience with love and football and, and sort of the passion for the game? And um, do you have guys that you have to really have that conversation with like, hey, do you really want to keep doing this? Um, because it's a physical Brutal sport in a lot of ways. I mean, the physicality of the sport, and the reason I mentioned those other sports is they are too. Swimming is a grueling, monotonous sport. Cross-country running, I don't think people realize what goes on for those people's bodies. Tennis, it's a country club sport, so it looks all glamorous, but if you watched the Nadal match at the Australian Open, you'll see like it is an exhausting, physically grueling sport and emotionally as well. Um, so I'm curious about your thoughts on football and, and how people think about it and whether they love it or not. And if you care if they love it or not and, and how you think about that.
0: Yeah, no, there's a lot, there's a lot there. I, I think um, one, whenever you, you ask like, did I, did I love it? Um, I think that there's, there's times that you uh, there's always, I mean, right now I always tell our guys like there's, we get 11 days out of the entire year, 365 days, that we're guaranteed that we really get to go out there and do it. That, that's when people start being like, you guys are crazy. You know, you guys are crawling around out here in the snow, and it's February, and to, to be able to play out here in October, you know, like it's kind of like – and you really step back, and you're, you're like, yeah, that, that's um, that's different. So you really have to, um, you know, have that passion for, like, the the team – And for me as a quarterback, especially like there was when I say fun and there was probably a small window, there's a lot of not fun days, but you're really chasing after. That's why it's hard for like these quarterbacks and stuff to retire is like there's really nothing else in the world that when you step in that huddle and when it like all eyes are kind of on you and or you throw a touchdown pass and or then you walk in the locker room in a winning locker room. Uh, there's not much out there that, that can replicate that. And you only have us for a small window of time. Uh, that, that's fun. That's probably even more than fun. That's kind of like a, now there's the, the other side of it that we'll maybe talk about, too. Like so you're putting it on the line and now in coaching, too, it's the same. Like there's nothing like that walking into a winning locker room and you see these coaches and McVay and, and you see some of the inside stuff at at, uh, shooting in college, but the NFL and giving out the game balls and then your, your family's waiting on you. There's just not much like that, but there's also not much like the other locker room. So it's like one extreme to the other, like almost paralyzing when you get beat, but there's that pursuit of that feeling, knowing that that is out there. If you, if you put in the work and you become that. And so I would say, yeah, not, not many people like truly love it, but I think that that's probably hard to find in a lot of things in this, in society. Like, do they like truly find a? are you doing what you're really passionate about? Or is there some underlying reason why you're doing it? Um, you have to your parents, uh, for the money it's, uh, so when you can really find that, that you, you can chase that and there is something in your work that's like, man, this is why I do that, you know, and then it might not come around for another six months or three months or whatever. But when you're working or when you're training, that that's really kind of the, the carrot that that you're going after. So I, I can see it's probably a small window in football, like high school sports. There's a love of the team and community, and that's fun then it starts to kind of gradually get off because then your, your life starts to evolve too. And then when you're in professional, then it's, it's family and it's uh, different, uh, you know, things that you're doing maybe business wise, and it's just your time and that love kind of starts to dwindle a little bit.
1: Yeah. Let's talk about lifestyle a little bit, because one of the questions I ask all my clients is what fulfills you. And that was sort of what we were talking about here, that fulfilling feeling that you kept saying, of when you're in a locker room and you're all in it together and there's great satisfaction there. And then the loss also, it drives this desire to feel that sense of fulfillment, that sense of accomplishment in a lot of ways, which we also have to be careful about because it can be an addiction, right? Like chasing the feeling just for the feeling can, can be, there can be a dark side to that. But I, I think every human is wanting to feel a sense of fulfillment And fulfillment can come in a lot of different ways. It can come in relationship. It can come in um, status. It can come in a title. It can come in um, helping other people and the ability to give back. I mean, I don't claim to um, know what everyone's fulfillment is, but I think it is a good question to ask ourselves is what gives us fulfillment, satisfaction. And then the other thing is like, what do we want? And they don't necessarily have to be merged together. And when I say, what do you want? It's, it could be financial. It could be a lifestyle. It could be, I want to build a business and employ people. It could be, I want to win a championship, whatever the wants are the wants and whatever the fulfillment is, is the fulfillment. But oftentimes I'll say to people, all right, if you're doing this because you're chasing something that you want, so it might be, let's call it financial security, then great. Where is the financial security? Where does it need to be So that we can focus on fulfillment if you're going to lower fulfillment right now to create financial security for your family great where does it need to be so that we can either um get to a place where we can then focus on fulfillment or can we focus on fulfillment on the side so to speak can we have something else that maybe volunteer at our church or can we um, do other activities that really give us fulfillment maybe it's my family so fulfillment and want like those are the two big things that i go to The interesting thing about the position you're in is you mentioned you're at 30 years old, you become the head coach uh, of a division one football team that is young to become a football coach. So I'm sure a lot of people are looking at you being like, damn, Nick is he's doing great. He's successful. Um, But the downside and the dark side that comes with being a head coach is also significant. And just coaching in sports in general, um, the lifestyle. And I'm specifically going to focus on football. Um, Football is a sport. That I've been around a lot of different sports. Football is the only one where it's kind of like approved and acceptable to have a bed in your office. Like that's I've heard coaches brag. Yeah, yeah, I sleep at the office. Of course I do. And I'm like, to your point earlier, Nick, you got 11 games. <laughs> you're you're sleeping at the office. Like maybe the baseball guys have to do it sometimes. 162 games, but this doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So you're in a industry where work ethic is so paramount. And I, I think one of the reasons for that is you do call plays. You do get to impact the game at a far greater level than I think a lot of the other sports. I think the the coaches in football, you know, we design the play. You go out and you do your job and you execute. And it's our job to put you in a place to be successful. It's your job to catch the ball, block the ball, tackle, et cetera. But can you talk about lifestyle specifically as a coach in this football world and and how you think about it for yourself, and and how you see it amongst your peers.
0: Yeah, I, I think um, you know it is a a, a problem in our, in our profession um, is just um, the the thought process when you really look at the the whole of that. Like, what do you want to be as your life? I, I think that the misconceptions of I think a lot of people that spend so many hours like do do more harm than good. I think that there's a there's a part of these um, that you have to be careful of, of, of like the energy, the burnout, the um, are you really going to be when you're when you're getting like four hours of sleep a night? Like, are you doing what you've instilled in your your guys to do Relationship? There's just no way to to keep that going. Uh, there's just not. I mean, to, to look at a, a, a few more, uh, and then it's got to look back Or how efficient is your day set up? Because to me, it's like, I, I don't know, like, um, I, I don't know what they're doing, you know, like, I, I really don't. And, and maybe that's a problem, too. But you really look at the lives of, of a lot of people in our profession, and there's a lot of divorces, there's a lot of uh, unhealthiness, there's a lot of coaches that have to step away for health reasons. You think about it, if you go on for four hours of sleep for multiple days in a row, at least I do, I go to bed super early. So it's like, uh, you're probably creating some unhealthy habits. You know, coaches uh, are always, you know, whether it's alcohol or dipping, or um, then you just your body is in this cycle of unhealthiness. And then it's trickles over to relationships. And, Um, I don't know where, obviously you have to put in the work. Like there's not a coach out there that's successful. That's just like, Oh yeah, he comes in and he does this. And then he, so there has to be, uh, that's where you have to, your time and your efficiency. And I've still got to grow and get better at this is just ways to make sure there's those, we, we put in the work, we have to believe in this and, uh, then we have to go and, and, um, go out there and let the players uh, play and play freely, you know, and you only get so much time with them too. I think the problem that we run into a lot is it's not what we know. It's what those players know out there on the field. So we could have watched, you know, all of these cutups and all of these plays and all of these, you know, third down and threes and you, you know, you spent, five hours watching third and mediums throughout the week. And you end up with three of them during the game on Saturday. You know what I mean? And, uh, so was that a deficient thing? And, and does your quarterback know exactly what you're thinking?
1: What do you do? What do you do to put guardrails for yourself? What do you do to make sure that you're not, um, burning out?
0: Yeah, I, I think, um, I think that I have a, a pretty good, um, feel of that. Like it, my lifestyle, I think if you would ask our coaches, uh, would say that is a, uh, is a huge thing for me, my family, my two little girls. Um, I don't, I don't stay up here super late at night. Like I, I feel inefficient late at night. I like early morning. So usually I'm here, uh, maybe before a lot of people, but, um, I don't stay up here. Like I, I'm, I'm going to get home and, put my girls to bed, usually, you know, five out of the seven nights, you know, uh, and it used to be less than that. It used to be three, you know, like, okay, Thursday and Friday, a home game. And then, uh, but so I, I make sure, I don't know if I have a, the right, um, like guardrails where, Hey, this is a set thing that I do every single day, you know, Thursday nights are our date nights for our family, the off season. I mean, we do a lot of uh, things together. I try to create a, a schedule, that our, our staff knows in advance when they're going to get certain days off and weeks off and, and creating that 365-day calendar. And then the big thing for me is just including them in everything, whether it's recruiting visits or anything like these, like, uh, you know, we take the, the guys bowling on Friday night, the recruits and their families. Well, shoot, we've got to have 10 lanes because like every kid of every staff meter is there at the bowling alley with us, you know, so if we're going to be doing it, then they're going to be around as well. They're always welcome up here. They don't have to ask, hey, can my family come up here for lunch or after practice, they're going to be, the kids are going to be running up and down the hallways, kind of like like, you don't have to come in here and ask me if that's all right, you know? Uh, And so we've created that environment. But I would say that, like you said, I mean, like I got the job at 30 and sometimes it's not like, be careful what you ask for, because I don't even know if I was asking for the head job. It just kind of worked out that way. You know, um, but um, there's a lot of tough things that happen. I mean, uh, looking back, I mean, there's been things in my personal life and our marriage uh, that have been tough. And it's probably created from being the head football coach, you know, and gone. And And we live in a small community where everybody knows who you are and there's no really privacy. And there's always uh, I mean, I got the job. I was 30. Uh, my wife, Alicia, was 27. She was pregnant. She had Skyler two months after I got the job in February of of 2016, and and then we've had two two bay, you know two little girls since then, and so uh, that's a lot. Heck, you know, like when you have kids, it's a lot, no matter what it is. And so when you're gone a lot, and there's the pressures, we went through three straight losing seasons. You know, there's nothing there's nothing uh, fun about being two and nine and having a two-year-old and a newborn, and, uh, you know, you lose your last five games. Uh, there's, really, I don't know what how to describe that in anybody else's profession, but that's like being a salesman, and just having the worst year of your life, you know, and, and uh, but that happens in sports, and there's that other end of it as well, and so, for me, it's about a piece, we talked about my uh, faith a little bit, and I think even going back to, your work and everything. And like that, that fulfillment. And what is to me, it's like is being peaceful in your life. Like I can go to bed, I can get up, we can take a tough loss, we can have big wins. And for me, that's where like Christianity is the one faith is the one religion where if you start to get to feeling yourself a little too much, you know what I mean? Getting a little arrogant, a little feeling yourself, it's going to bring you down you know? And then it's also when you're, when you're, you're, you're really hard on yourself, you're depressed and you're, you know, it's like, I'm not good enough. And it's like, no, it's, you are good enough. And it's going to, it's going to bring you back up. And there's going to be like scriptures that like, Hey, listen, yes, you are like, you are good enough. And so there's a, there's a piece that you have to find in any walk of life. But for me, it's, I could we could go. Should we could go zero and eleven next year? And I feel like it will be tough, and that'll suck. But um you got to have that, that in your life where there's a happiness and a fulfillment uh, that's outside of what you do for work.
1: You mentioned the two and nine season. Your first three years, I think four and seven, four and seven, two and nine, uh, and then last three you had winning seasons. What advice would you give to a coach if they were struggling for their first three seasons uh, as a head coach?
0: Yeah, I would just. I would say um, you got the job for a reason. You had a belief system. Um, you have to adjust a little bit and tweak it, but you're probably not that far off. You know, there has to be a, a lot of – there's got to be an alignment. We look back, I think we had 14 games in those three years that we lost by one possession. So it wasn't all of a sudden. I remember um, and Jeremy Chen got drafted in the second round from us. We have five guys that are active in the NFL, but Jeremy is the best – player that that we've had and went to the senior bowl and is going to be an all pro player for the, the, the Panthers. And so he comes back for a senior year off those three losing seasons. And I remember that team meeting, like, Hey, listen, if if you're looking for a brand new set of these values that we talked about and like, Hey, all of a sudden, you know, I went to a clinic and here we go, like, this is what we were missing and here's a new team meeting. And like coach Hill comes into the team meeting room a lot different now. And all of a sudden it, that you got the wrong place, you probably do need to go in the transfer portal because we're gonna keep believing in what we're doing. Uh, we've got to all get better starting with myself, taking ownership, like I'm gonna, I'm gonna put the work in, I'm gonna grow in areas that we feel like we do and what we're not doing well, we need to get better at, but there's a core belief system here about how um, we're gonna go about things. And, and so I would tell them like, you're, you're probably not that far off, believe in yourself. You might have to make some tough decisions, you know, had to make some changes on the staff, had to adjust a few things that I felt like were going to be necessary. And, um, and, uh, yeah, and we're still not there yet. That's what I'm saying. Like eight and five to me, like everybody's like, Hey, you had an unbelievable season. We've had a lot of really, really big wins, but we haven't won a championship yet. And so there's still that, that same thought process is, today uh, in February is probably the same as when we were two and nine and that following February. It's like, you've still got to make those same processes happen of of, um, getting better at some things, adjusting some things, pivoting in some places, and uh, but still believing in your core uh, values of your program.
1: That's really good. I love the idea that failure is an event, it's not a person. And so I have to know who I am And I need to think about, all right, where do we need to adapt and adjust? And I need to hold both of those together. And I think sometimes people just go to, well, I'm not the right person for the job or self doubt or self critic. And they beat themselves down rather than seeking solutions. And all right, where are the ops, where are the opportunities here? And how can we get better and how can we improve? And I still have conviction in what I believe in. Um, And to use your word to have faith. Like, uh, yeah, I, I have faith that I know what I'm doing and I'm open if there's a better idea for how we run our offense or what we can do on defense. And so holding both of those is, is really, really great for you. You have had success last three years. And before we started recording, you said, Hey, you know, I get to live on 250 acres of land. I like the outdoors. I'm in my hometown. Uh, There have been opportunities for me to go elsewhere Talk about your vision for yourself and, and why stay, why stay and and build this thing as opposed to going to quote unquote, greener pastures.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that I, I guess for each person you have to, um, you know, define what greener pastures are. And for me, um, and it kind of goes back to our original thought process with, with, uh, with Dean Pease is like, um, you know, for me, I'm coaching division one football at my alma mater, you know, and it's division one FCS, but it's an unbelievable level of football. And, um, you, you know, there's a lot of pride here and there's a lot of, and I'm, I'm from here. Like I, I, uh, I came back to Southern Illinois to be the head coach at Carbondale high school. And, uh, unless there was, it wasn't like, Hey, let me come back then I think Dale Lennon might have an opening and then I'm going to try to coach college and I've got my resume ready. It wasn't that, it was just timing of uh, Kalen DeBoer actually, who's the head coach at what university of Washington now was here. He got the job at Eastern Michigan and, and Dale called me and was like, Hey, would you have, you know, there was some turnover on staff. Would you be interested in coaching quarterbacks in college? And I was like, man, I haven't really even thought about that. Honestly, you know, like I was, I was, collecting helmets and doing the shoulder pad deal over at Carbondale. The season had just ended. And so um, I say that to say, like I moved back to live in Carbondale. I thought maybe I'd be the head coach here for a long time and live in Southern Illinois and raise my family here. And so that's what I'm still doing. And I, and I love that there is, there's always going to be that, that drive of doing, uh, you know, your profession at the highest level you know, and pushing yourself, challenging yourself. Um, and, and I think that those answers will come if there is the, the, the perfect, um, situation. But like, I honestly, when I sit recruits down and, and families down, like I, this is my dream job. Honestly, I can't, couldn't like, if you off air would be like, Hey, what is really your, your number one coaching job? Like that you would just die to, to go after. I I couldn't name you one. Like I love being here. Like I said, I, I I go duck hunting with my dad and all of his buddies and what I'd be doing if I was just doing whatever right now, you know, um, I go check trail cameras during my lunch hour because I got 50 acres of land here in Carbondale as well. That's like two miles from here. Like I can be back in the office in like 18 minutes. You know what I mean? That's my exercise walk, check my trail cams, come back, put them in the computer. It's, um, so to me, like. I'm just going to stay grounded in, in where I'm at. Like, this is an unbelievable opportunity for me. I want to lead this place in a much better place. Like, we haven't won a championship. I'd love to leave a legacy here of uh, whoever that there will be a, another coach that follows me, no matter when that is, you know, whether that's in 20 years or 10 or five or, heck, I mean, we live in a uh, a weird profession, you know, like that we could lose and get fired, but, I want that person that takes over after me uh, to be set up in an unbelievable program, because at the end of the day, I'll be an alumni and be a supporter, whoever takes over after this as well. And uh, I want it to be in an unbelievable spot.
1: Well, that's a beautiful place for us to close. Nick, if people want to follow you on social media, where can they do that? If they want to follow the team as well, where's the best place for them to follow along next season when you all are playing?
0: Yeah, probably the most active on, on Twitter. I think it's at 17 Nick Hill. Um, and, uh, our, really our, our people do an unbelievable job of our, our social media account, SIU football. Um, and so, yeah, just, uh, get on there and, 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 uh, follow along, support us, you know, uh, try to do a good job of keeping everybody up to date. Uh, currently right now we do a thing called a book club arena at atomic habits. Like yesterday, it's, uh, every Thursday we get in the room. It's honestly the, the thing I look forward to the most. We're in there for about an hour of uh, just a book club. We don't talk anything about football. So we post some things about that. We'll be putting some videos out of the book club and just listen to some of our players and where that impacts them. And uh, so we try to do a lot of things that aren't uh, just the normal, you know, weight room pump up video. We'll try to put some other content out there
1: Awesome. I'm on Twitter at Brian Levinson as well. And Nick and I were talking about the power of Twitter. That's how we found each other. So uh, you can follow both of us there and you can listen to all these conversations at strongskills.co slash podcast. Nick, looking forward to meeting you in person at some point. Um, Really good getting to know you today and looking forward to following your team over the next year and, or as long as you are engaged and involved with the team as well. So thanks for coming on the podcast.
0: I appreciate it, Brian. This was fun. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode jam. Well, the one thing that you can feel and see is when you come into someone's building and it's genuine. I think that that's where a lot of people miss the mark. Is um, is it really genuine? Is, is treating someone really genuine? So it's... You know, uh, you hear this all the time too, there's no secrets uh, of any of these things, but can you really go out there and do it? How you treat the people in the hallway? You know, we talk all the time about, you know, you're walking, it, we're all connected here, all the different sports and everything. So if the assistant softball coach is walking down the build, you know, the hallway and you're walking from study table, like what's that interaction been like? You know, that's gonna be deeply what people feel about Saluki football.